0: I don't care who stoops from what pedestal or how many zeros they have after their name, we are all more alike. And so Schmooze, for me, it's about overcoming adversity and it's about building relationships. It's about chutzpah, which I call the new charisma. It's about having fun. It's about mentoring. And just to sum it up, it's about going through life with a good bedside manner.
1: We stand today... The Business Method the business with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now, Let's hop into today's show.
0: The business method.
1: Hey, gals and pals, listen up real quick because we have something exciting to share with you. First, for you high-performing entrepreneurs out there, we've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 episodes that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to eight minutes long. These high-performance episodes are being published on Monday and Friday each week, and will be labeled as HP number 12345678910, and so on. Those episodes are live now and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content when you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered to you as soon as they are live. The next thing I wanted to share with you is about our private mastermind community for established entrepreneurs. If you have an established business that has good momentum and wanted to be involved in a higher level mastermind community that is curated specifically for entrepreneurs that are moving at the same speed as you with similar challenges, revenue, team size, and business niche, then we've got a group for you. Our private mastermind groups are facilitated by myself, yours truly, and my good friend, Adam Anderson. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur who's been involved in 20 plus startups over 20 years, and recently had a multi-million dollar exit. I keep the members on track with their goals, productivity, and optimization, and Adam brings the vast business knowledge to the groups. Our purpose with this private community is to help you reach your business goals faster so you can remove yourself from your company and focus on bigger and better things. You can learn more about that private community and masterminds at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. That's thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. And now, let's hop into today's show
0: the business method.
1: Listeners, welcome to the show today and I'm really excited to welcome Cody Lowry. Cody Lowry has a list of really impressive achievements that he's done with his life and he uses what I believe is mindset and also personality and um I guess a little ambition and just like that good old-fashioned go get, go get him attitude to achieve these really cool things, Cody has set up a m- meeting with the President of the United States within one week, got the Pope to sign a baseball, carried the torch in an Olympic relay. He has been presented a Super Bowl ring by a Hall of Fame coach, getting an audition on Saturday Night Live in, within 48 hours, and then written a book saying what they should teach you at Harvard Business School. Cody's on the podcast today. Cody, how are you today? Good, sir.
0: I am doing super duper. I hope you are.
1: <laughs> I am. I am. And it's. I'm glad to have you on. I went through your book yesterday and I was reading some of your stories and it sounded really, um, it sounded like the book that I, I like to read and it, it just has a great overall type of mindset for people. And, um, we're definitely going to get into some of the stories in the book today, but I, I kind of want to just dive into it. Um, the first thing that comes up for me, Cody, is you got a meeting with the president of the United States in one week. Can you tell us about that?
0: I absolutely can. I was working in the car business at the time and I was the general sales manager. We were having a management meeting. The president was coming to town and the owner of the dealership was, um, He was a Republican. Jimmy Carter was a Democrat. With that said, Walter Annenberg had just written an article called A Summer of Discontent. And when Jimmy Carter was running for the second time, I mean, inflation was off the charts. The country was just in turmoil. And everybody was kind of badgering the president. So Walter Annenberg, philanthropist and Republican, wrote this wonderful article called A Summer of Discontent. And the takeaway from the article, Chris, was, you know, as bad as it seems right now, he's the only president we've got. Let's get behind him. Let's stay with it. Um, my dealer at the time, who was counselor to, to Lebanon, and and um, as I said, a strong Republican, loved it so much that he had it put in the Miami Herald, full page ads, full color in the Miami Herald, the Tampa Tribune, and the St. Petersburg Times, and full color and And uh, it made kind of a a pretty big impact in in the market. And so I mentioned in in this management meeting, why don't we uh, meet with the president next week? And I said, maybe we'll give him a plaque with this article on it. And uh, they looked at me like I was crazy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the president of the United States you're going to meet with him in one week. And I said, well, let's try. And the only one that was uh, somewhat was supportive was uh, Mr. Abraham. So he said, well, why don't you see what you can do? You know, so I mean- I leave the, uh, the meeting and I immediately called Jody Powell's office, who was the president's, you know, right-hand man at the time. And I get the soupy sales shuffle there and, and they send me to this, uh, this office and then that office. And then finally, I got to the scheduling office. And the scheduling office, I explained to this gentleman exactly what I wanted to do. And he was trying to convince me that it just wasn't possible. And, and the harder I pushed, he backpedaled. Uh, quite a bit. And then finally, I, I think he got, uh, you know, a little uh, upset with me. And he said, Mr. Lowry, uh, do you know how many people want to meet with the president of the United States? And then I said to him, I said, well, that's probably true, but you could count on one finger how many men just spent $30,000 running full page ads in three of Florida's largest newspapers. And this is the line that got him in a state that's going to be critical to him in the next election so he started tap dancing and now he doesn't know who he's got on the phone and he said let me call let me call you tomorrow and and we'll see what we can do so he did he called he called the next day and he said I want you to meet with Keisha LeGrand she was with the advanced team in Tampa and they were getting everything ready for the president to come in and and so I called Keisha I got her on the phone she knew I was calling she didn't know who I was and uh but she was very very kind She says, well, I I think I understand what you want to do. She said, is there a chance you could come by the hotel tomorrow? And I said, absolutely. So I went by the hotel. I explained to Keish what I just went over. And I said, the president is um, really supportive of the president. And, you know, he's a Republican. And so she said, well, let me check with one other person um, and give me a call tomorrow. So we did that. Or I did that. I called her up and, and, um, you know. Told her what was what was going on, and she says we've arranged for a meeting with you and the president. Oh. And I'm going to back up for just a second. When I left her her hotel, I went to a place called Alessi Bakery, and Alessi Bakery you know the iconic bakery in in town, right? And I sent over two cheesecakes to the uh, to her hotel room and and to support her 15 people that were there. And uh, so anyway, we were talking on the phone and I, I asked her right up front. I said, Keish, is there any way I could go with Mr. Abraham? And she said, that's not going to be possible. So she went on asking me questions. It was, it was more about security and those kinds of things. And then at the uh, end of the call, I said, Keish, is there any way you could arrange it where I could go with Mr. Abraham? And there was a big pause and she said, Cody, I'll handle it. Thanks for the cheesecake. And uh, so that was a little schmoozing.
1: Uh-huh. Uh,
0: and we met with the, the president the next week and uh, um, it was a great experience.
1: What did you talk uh, with the president about?
0: So I will tell you, we did not talk to the president about too much. Okay. And there were, um, you know, we waited in a holding room and Mrs. Mrs. Carter, um, his mother uh, came in and um, that was an interesting meeting. Mm-hmm. And, um, all of a sudden the doors fly open, you know, Jimmy caught on, I'll do impressions, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's not a real big man, but now he's got these two guys that are about six, four and they just separate. And, and we spent a few minutes talking to him. We told him about the article. He was aware of the article and he was, he wasn't so much aware of who I was, but he knew exactly who Mr. Abraham was. Right. And uh, so he was very kind, very cordial and, uh, you know, great experience
1: you you were so how old were you what year was that and how old were you so
0: that was he that was it would have been uh, 1976 and i'm
1: you know my late 20s oh so you're you're a pretty young man when that happened yeah i just
0: started shaving you know
1: (laughs) um i'm sure that was like the highlight of your 20s to meet the president of the united states had you up to that point had you done anything it, as impressive as that, by you know finding your way to meet him, you know really successful people.
0: So um, I would not I would no I would say as as it relates to that um, and in that lane, no that that was probably the first.
1: Okay, and and a couple questions come to mind. So I was just laying out your your process of doing that where did you find the phone number for the president's right-hand man? I think somebody named Jamie, you mentioned earlier, how did you guys get access to that?
0: You know, I just, uh, I called the the white house and,
1: um, could you call the white house back? Can you call them still today? You
0: could call the white house right now. Really? You could, you could pick up the phone and you could call the white. Yeah. And they transfer you, um, someplace. And at the time, jody powell was was really quite visible and again he was the the president's right-hand man and um when i got to his office as i said they moved me on to to some other place but um you know what you know what i uh, and it's also in the book um we are 99 percent more alike i don't care if you've got you know eight zeros after your name or, or you're a popper i always tell people you know that uh you know, there are no pockets in a shroud, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are all going to leave this worth with, with nothing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed or, or even somewhat nervous. I've got, I got three friends that are very well to do. They're in that billionaire status. I've got them on my phone, um, my, my phone log and, you know, they take my calls. And so I tell people in the book, I don't care who stoops from what pedestal or how many zeros they have after their name. We are all more alike. And, and a lot of people, Chris, they have this fear of people. And And I can tell you, and it probably goes back to my early beginnings, you know, why I don't have this, this fear. Mm-hmm. I know everybody's got a story, and mine's a little different. You know, most of the times you hear these stories, they're rags to riches, and they're wonderful stories, and how people pulled themselves up by their, their the bootstraps and and become very became very very successful. Well, I, I I instead of a rags to riches, I've got a riches to rags story, mm-hmm. and my uh, my mom was blue blood Detroit. She was literally raised with the Fords and the Fisher. Fishers, there's um, that's automobile people Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a high school in Detroit named after my grandfather, Frank Cody High School. He's the first president of Wayne State University. With that said, when my mom and father got together, they met as camp counselors Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, they got married and they moved to Florida and whatever inheritance, you know, they had they blew it pretty quickly. They both became alcoholics. Within a seven-year period and a seven-mile radius, we moved 32 times.
1: Wow!
0: Uh, We actually lived in two places twice. I can remember coming home from school one day with my little brother, and we didn't live there anymore. And so things were very, very difficult. My father left when I was about nine, and my mother, I call her the debutante mother, um, she never worked a day in her life, and here she's got a support. Uh, you know, four kids and she has no training. She went to a girls finishing school. Um, And I mean, we're living in a house, 600 square feet. There's, there's five of us bouncing around in there. A lot of times the lights are being turned off. My favorite saint was St. Vincent de Paul. I mean, it it was tough. So, you know, I, I, at an early age, um, age 11, I started uh, selling papers at a sunrise shopping center and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just connected with people and I liked approaching people. And, and I had this, uh, you can call this schmooze and, and uh, you know, persistence is, is a big part of my book. And, you know, and I learned that early on. If people came by, I'd say, Miami News, Miami News, sir, Miami News, ma'am. And um, if they said no, and they walked past me, I would go after them. I'd say, uh, would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, and how many birthdays you've had? They turn around, they look at this artful Dodger kid, right? <laughs> and they said, and I'd say, You've got your shoes on your feet, you were born in the state of infancy, and you've only had one birthday the day you were born. <laughs> now, when you're 11 years old, you can get away with that. And I will tell you that the paper was a nickel at the time, right? Uh-huh. So, so you say, Well, How did I know? I don't know. But at an early age, I just started charging. I was never afraid of people. And it's a shame that today um, and I know you've run across them and and, in your line of work. They are they are fearful of many people, whether it's the boss or making a new presentation to somebody or, you know, in in fact, in the book, I've got a chapter called Schmoozing from the Podium. And I think that's so important that we get our kids, we get our grandkids to be able to get up and, you know, and have that that confidence in in front of an audience. And Warren Buffett, when he started out in business, he was scared to death to, to get up in front of people. Mm-hmm. And he went and he took the Dale Carnegie course and, you know, all well, the rest is history. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he probably, uh, I probably won't be able to, Lend him any money, let's say. He's doing just fine. Nobody needs
1: to lend him money. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, this is probably a good point to talk about how you define the word schmooze because, you know, in your book... You talk about um, you wanted to redefine this. You like the idea of smoothing, but in in a good way, like buying a cheesecake. So you get a meeting with the president with to the right person. So you get the meeting with the president Um, and it ends up being a win, win, win situation for everybody, not the old traditional sort of definition where you could do that to manipulate, manipulate people. So so how would you how do you define it, Cody?
0: Yeah, so schmooze, sh- 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 first of all, is a, a Yiddish word and it means, you know, to chat idly in a friendly or persuasive manner, especially to his gain favor and business or relations. For for me, um, it's taken on a new definition and it, and it's in the book. It's it's about overcoming adversity. And I've overcome a lot of adversity in my life. It's about building relationships. And I and I talked today about the the secret sauce, you know, build the relationship, get the customer to trust you and endeavor try never, never to let them down. It's um, it's about uh, chutzpah, which I call the new charisma. It's um, it's about, as I said, it's about schmoozing from the podium. It's about having fun. It's about mentoring. Mentoring is how I happen to be able to carry a torch in the Olympic torch relay. And then I, I guess just to sum it up, Chris, it's about going through life with a good bedside manner.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, uh, on the topic of the torch, I'd love to learn about that. That sounds like something that I'd like to do. How did you get to the point where you could carry the torch in the Olympic? Relay? Well,
0: you know, it's so important that we mentor in life and uh, to people that really need it. On the other hand, you're never too old to find another mentor you know, that in in your life that can actually help you. I had an unbelievable mentor when I was uh, growing up. And, uh, you know, like I said, there was no father in the house. And my father figure at the time was a guy by the name of Hugh Hoffman. And I think a lot of my personality has been, um, especially the, uh, you know, kind of the persistent uh, side of my personality is is because of him. And he used to have these Hoffmanisms. He said, and he was truly my mentor. He'd say, Cody, you never lend money to a friend. It's the quickest way to lose one. He said, Cody, and the maid comes over. I hide money in the seat. Tells me two things. One, if she's honest, two, if she clean there. He said, Cody, if somebody initiates the bet, don't take it. So this is really funny. And, and, and I'll get back to the torch, but, um, if somebody initiates the bet, don't take it. About a year went by and I went in his, his office and he comes out and he says, Cody, I got a bet for you. He was like a kid, right? He just bought, <laughs> you bought a Cadillac every year. He wanted to bet me that I couldn't find the horn on his new Cadillac. And he says, now let me tell you something. He says, four people have already lost a dollar today, but I'll bet you a dollar. You can't find the, the horn on my, on my new Cadillac. And remembering, you know, um, uh, the advice he gave me a year prior I changed the subject immediately and you know he was off back into his office and I went out to his his outside office and I called Connor Brown Cadillac which was a local Cadillac dealership in Fort Lauderdale and I got the the uh the car, car salesman on the phone and I said let me ask you a question where's the horn on the new Cadillac he says all you do is squeeze the steering wheel I said really just squeeze it He said, yeah. So now here comes Hoffman out. He's a Paul Bunyan type character. He's like six, five and you know, big hands, big head. And and he kind of very awkward, you know? Uh And I said, Hey, Hugh, what's the deal about the the horn and the Cadillac again? And he goes, yeah, now let me tell you something. I'll bet you. And I'll give you one minute. You can't find the horn on my Cadillac. I'm in for a dollar. I'm in. Oh, he was excited. He knew he had another pigeon. So out we go to his car. Right. (laughs) And, He's standing up real high, and I'm sticking my head out the window, and I've got my hands on the steering wheel, right? And I said, uh, Wendy, "When do you want?" Now he, he thinks this is a, a shuttle out in uh, Cape Canaveral, right? Here's, I'll tell you when to go. When I, I I'm on corner, count of three, you go. All right, one, two, three. Ah! <laughs> bitch! You couldn't believe that I got it, right? Uh-huh. But, but Hugh Hoffman was my mentor. He was a father figure. He bought my, my high school ring, my, my high school yearbook. He bought my uh, college ring. And he was just a, a wonderful person. And, and I guess uh, uh, truly the number one mentor in my life. Mm-hmm. So moving forward... I did a lot of business uh, at the time with Chevrolet Motor Division. I was an agency that represented groups of their dealers in the country, and the zone manager at the time, uh, he and myself became relatively good friends, as, much, as friendly as you can get in one of those situations. Because, you know, the the uh, people from Chevrolet they're always moving; they don't stay in one place long, and so they're here today. They're in Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, they're and then they're back in Detroit. And so I had spent about two, two or three years with Kurt in the market and just a wonderful guy. And so off he goes, he becomes the general marketing manager for Chevrolet Motor Division. And uh, we stay in touch, you know, probably once or twice a year. So now I get a call from him and he said, Cody, I have a favor. And I said, what's that? And uh, he said that his son was struggling. He had just graduated. Andy was his name. Uh, that he was struggling and that he was having a hard time finding a job. And because I'm in media and I know all the people, he said, would you mind, you know, working with them a little bit? And I said, no, I'd love to do that. So uh, Andy came by the, 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 office, we met, we talked, I gave him some, some advice and we agreed to, you know, meet once a week, kind of like, you know, Tuesdays with Maury, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we did that for about three weeks and, Finally, I got a call from him. He says, Cody, can I come by the office? He was so excited. And um, he came by the the office and he says, I got a job. I said, yeah, what are you going to do? He says, well, he says, I'm going to be a junior account executive at the advertising agency that represents Chevrolet Motor Division. And I said, why are you doing that? I said, that's not what you want to do. And I I think that your dad is in a position where he could make a call at any time and maybe help you out there. You want to get in film. You want to, you, you want to produce sports programs. You want, why are you doing that? And I actually talked him out of doing it the next week. He got his dream job in Miami. Well, not only does he get his dream job in Miami, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm real close to that family. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm invited to weddings, you know, he comes into town. He's, uh, we'll go to a, a Tampa Bay buck game and, and what have you. And then out of the clear blue, I get a call, uh, from Kurt. And, uh, he said, Cody, I've nominated you to carry the torch in the Olympics uh, wow. on the upcoming Olympic. And I said, really now you gotta understand this guy, knows every super Chevrolet dealer in the country. Mm -hmm. He knows agencies that could dwarf mine, right? And he knows all the people at the top. Why do you think he asked me or nominated me to carry that towards? And he couldn't do it for more than, I think three people and I was on the list. He did it because number one, I mentored to his uh, son and I showed him that I really cared.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so. that's it. I mean, uh, showing people that you really care, even different types of people, Republican, Democrat, people that, you know, may not benefit you to show them, you know, you do care about their well-being, no matter what their their journey in life. You they remember that. Right. And then they it seems sure. like then then you got the the meeting with the president and then you got the opportunity to run uh, run the torch in the relay. Um, but they, but the, but there were still three people on the list and then they decided to choose you, right? Or did they choose? No, 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 people? no. He got, those other
0: people went as well.
1: Okay. So, okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. so I think one of the, uh, here's a, here's something I'm really interested in. You, you got an audition on Saturday night live in 48 hours. What's the process right. behind that, Cody?
0: That was, uh, that was really kind of funny. You know, when I, um, got through college. um, I got into the automobile business and not that I wanted to get into the automobile business, but um, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't, you you say, well, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a policeman or I want to be a doctor or I want to be president or what have you. I never said I wanted to get in the automobile, but I did. And I did very well at it. There's a great story in the, in the book about, you know, chutzpah and how I actually, you know, got a job but I, um, I, can, I can tell you that um, the, um, the whole part of the book where I auditioned for Saturday Night Live, it's, it's about me walking away from the automobile business. It's, it's about me do, starting to do standup comedy. And in college and in high school, I did you know, I was, I was the MC, I was the the clown, I was, uh, you know, and I, and I had a lot of raw talent, Mm -hmm. and I just decided that I was going to give it a shot, I was going to do stand-up comedy, and I did that, I did that around the state of Florida, I, um, I finally decided, my wife and I at the time, we decided that Las Vegas would probably be a better place for me to, you know, really learn my craft, but in the meantime, I wanted to go to New York, and I wanted to, you know, kind of kick the tires there and see what was happening. So with very little funds, I took off for, for New York and I was planning on staying a week. You know, they they had two major comedy clubs there. One was uh, the Improv and the other other was Catch a Rising Star. And they were both iconic and all the big names, Robin Williams. And I mean, every name at the time, you know, went through those two comedy clubs. And, and at the time, Chris... You know, you really didn't get, uh, it's not like today where you can actually learn your craft and and get paid on a weekly basis. Um, Most of the times uh, you didn't get anything or you got a little honorarium. Now, in this case, uh, Catch a Rising Star, it was great. And that's another story about how I actually got on and Catch a Rising Star and a named talent by the name of Tom Drees bumped me out of my slot. And it's it's a great story. But I had finished uh, Catch a Rising Star. I really felt like I held my own and I did a very, very good job. Um, And then, you know, I was getting ready, you know, I was about three days out from uh, leaving and I thought, you know what, while I'm here, um, I'll audition for Saturday night live. Like, Oh, you know what, while I'm here, um, maybe I'll get a haircut. You know, it was that casual to me. Right. So I call up, uh, Saturday night live Rockefeller center. And I get, I find out who number one is, is in charge of the, uh, of the the talent his name was john head an english chap mm-hmm. and um so i asked for john head and they immediately sent me through to john head so i call him. <laughs> that's great uh, I, yeah so i get i get john head on the phone and i tell him who i am and you know a comedian from tampa bay and uh while i'm here i'd like to audition and i said by the way i'm an impressionist as well and i do jimmy carter better than anybody. And I told him that. And I said, I don't even think Rich Little's doing Jimmy Carter yet, one of those things. And um, so he, he, I didn't feel like I was getting the brush off, but I I, I learned later that I, I probably was. He said, well, listen, he said, I'm real busy now. Why don't you give me a call tomorrow? Let's see what I can do. Uh-huh. So tomorrow came and I called once, I called twice, I called three times, I called four times. I was making a very big nuisance of myself. I don't get him that day. And I'm, I got a plan like in the next day and a half getting back to Florida, but I was determined to get a hold of this guy. So at the time before the advent of the, the cell phones, uh, you know, people had listed numbers and I called up for listed number of John head. There was a John head, uh, living out in long Island and I got the number and I called. And the English chap answered the phone uh-huh. and I said, Mr. Head, this is Cody Lowry. And I'm really excited, you know, uh, he wasn't nearly as excited <laughs> because he said, you are unbelievable. Uh-huh. And I said, well, I, I said, you know, I'm leaving town. I don't really want to show you what I've got, blah, 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 Tells me to come by the next day. And, um, he's going to meet with me. Well, this is great. Right? So now I'm going up the elevator. At the Rockefeller Center, and I'm starting to get really kind of nervous. Like, what in the hell am I doing here? <laughs> uh-huh. I said, you know, you got all these Belushi and uh, all these big stars, and and uh, here I am. I mean, I'm just starting to hone my craft. And as I said, I had raw talent, but it was it was very good, you know. But nothing like like the people that were on the show. So, but anyway, when the elevator opened, I don't know. There was this calmness that came over me. Mm-hmm. And I walked up, you know, like I'm going to see my dentist or something. I said, uh, "Mr. Head, please, Cody Lowry." She said, "Just a minute, Mr. Lowry," and blah 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 blah. And next thing I know, I'm ushered into uh, a room with a platform, not necessarily a stage. And I meet this John Head, and what a wonderful, wonderful gentleman he was, you know. And we talked for a little bit, and um, he said, "Well, let's let's see what you got." And so I went up there, and I did I did impressions, you know. I did John Wayne. I did I did uh, Jack Webb. I did. You probably don't even know who Jack Webb is. But, I uh, don't no,
1: I no, do know. I do know. John Wayne. There's, a, no, there's no. a
0: lot of people on here who will remember uh, Jack Webb. I did this in college. I was in this uh, uh, speech course. It was an advanced speech course and I had a, had a petition to get into it. And I wrote this comedy deal. It was a um, it was kind of like a, a TV spot on vasectomy, a do-it-yourself kit for only $14.95. Mm-hmm. Antiseptic, gauze, scalpel. Yes, and while they last, a win button from the Association of Voluntary Sterling. So I went through that and then I did my Jimmy Carter. My name is Jimmy Carter. I always tell the truth. If I will tell a lie, I grow another tooth. Now a lot of people think I'm prejudiced, come from the South. I want the American people to know one thing right now of my two children, uh, my four children, two of my black. And he laughed, he loved it, he loved it. He went out and he got two other people, you know? Uh-huh. And they came into the room and, and I um, I don't know who they were because I wasn't introduced to them, but I'd be surprised if one of them wasn't Michael's. They loved it, they got up to leave and, and uh, he comes up to me afterwards, he said, that you knocked it out of the park with Carter. He said, um, I'll catch you around town. He didn't remember, you know, they're not gonna be around town. Um, and I went back to Florida and guess what i stayed in the automobile business i went to work for this company and i started out as a salesman next thing i know i'm their fleet manager. next thing i know i'm a the new car manager next thing i know i'm the general sales manager and i'm making quite a bit of money and people will will ask me today do you ever regret not really pursuing it and and i and i tell him no no for a lot of reasons you know i've got a if you walk in my house right now near the, the foyer you'd see a a picture of me and my eleven grandchildren, and they mm-hmm. wouldn't have been there if I had taken off to uh, Las Vegas and become, you know, Shecky Lowry. Yeah. So, <laughs> um,
1: oh, what a great story! And then yeah. y- you have another one that we have to talk about because we're just a, a week from a week away from the Super Bowl right now. Um, but you got presented, uh, at, well, you were given a Super Bowl ring by a Hall of Fame coach um, by the famous. Hank Schramm, one of the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs original coach. and um, But you you became friends with him for years before, right? Before he gave you a ring. Yep. Where did you meet yeah. him at?
0: Yeah, so that was uh, – I'm in media and advertising. I have an agency. And uh, Hank Schramm used to come to town. He used to do the pregame for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. And um, doing the preseason gave him an opportunity to kind of hone his skills – for you know the uh, the regular NFL uh, games, and so he would come to town, and we are at a TV function, Channel Forty Four, and it's a big dinner, and they're gonna one of the celebrities there is Coach Stram. Now, for those who are out there listening, Coach Stram was in the first Super Bowl, and he lost to Green Bay, and then he was in the fourth, and he won. Um, he, he won beating the uh, Minnesota Vikings, and he had this um, this personality of come on, Riff, hey, how can five of you guys miss a play like that? What? you know and he <laughs> he was just kind of a you know, a different character. And so he walks into the uh, he walks into this big function, and I said to my wife, he has on this orange double breasted jacket, you know, he was like a flamingo and he, he was very flashy, right? And so he he walks in. And uh, I said to my wife, I said, that's Hank Stram. She said, that is the ugliest coat I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and it was ugly for sure, but it gave me an opportunity to go up and talk to him. And it was just, uh, you know, it's one of those serendipitous moments where it takes off and you got this relationship going on. And we ended up doing spots together. Uh, we got very friendly with his wife and she still lives in Covington, uh, Louisiana. Unfortunately, he has um, left us, but we, uh, he comes into town one, one day or one, or one weekend for the game and we have dinner together. And I always worried about him, Chris, because it seemed like he was always hustling this or hustling that or somebody was pitching in this or pitching in that. And they all sounded like scams to me. Right. Uh And so he's got this other wonder product and yeah. What do you think boys? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I said, coach, I said, can I ask you a question? And uh, he said, fire away boys, fire away. I said, are you okay financially? Well, Chris, he thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> he heard in years, right? Uh-huh. He actually was doing quite well. Lamar Hunt had set him up in various investments and in Kansas City. He was second uh, color team with Jack Buck with CBS. Um, he was getting you know big honorariums to speak and to do golf tournaments, but somehow that touched him, and. Almost immediately on the heels of that, he looked at me. He got this serious look on his face. And he said, Cody, I'm going to make a big man out of you. And I said, oh, yeah, how are you going to do that, coach? He said, how would you like a Super Bowl ring? A Super Bowl ring? I mean, I, I know, at this time, I've known him about 12 years. He always wore his rings, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I admired him, you know, but I never even thought. I would ever have a Super Bowl ring and never really coveted one for, for that matter. And I said, Well, of course I'd like a Super Bowl ring. And so he commissioned to have one made. Uh he said it was for one of his sons. Um, they're very protective of those rings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh Lamar Hunt had to intervene because uh and give permission to have the ring made. And yeah, so that's how I got a Super Bowl ring. I'm sorry, I could run to the next room and get it for you and show it to <laughs> you if you'd like. Um, but um, yeah, so that happened because he knew that I really cared about him. And and I became something m- more than, you know, maybe just a fan or a hanger on or whatever. Somebody want to have dinner. I mean, he knew that I was I was genuinely, genuinely concerned about him and so now I have a Super Bowl ring. I, I bring it out every time about this year, whether Kansas City is in it now, in it now or not. So mm-hmm. just so all of you people out in podcast land know this, uh, Chris is a Kansas City Chief. That's where he was born and raised. And I'm, yeah. I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan. But also, uh, my heart is also with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because that is my home. And so, but I think it's going to be a great game.
1: It'll be a great game for sure. I I like the pattern in this, Cody. Like quite a few of these accomplishments you had, are um, a result of you just showing people that you genuinely care about them and you want them to be happy in their own sort of way. And so then you got to carry the Olympic torch, you got to meet the president, you got to get a Super Bowl ring, and that's really cool. That's what you talk about in your book. That's the, the how you define schmoozing. It's it's connecting with people. Um, and showing them that you do care because I know there's another story in a book about you were at uh, you were in Rome with I think your your bishop or your priest or... Uh, he,
0: he was a, a priest at the time he, he became uh-huh. a monsignor later but yeah
1: yeah and there was a, a man begging outside of um, what was the, uh, the 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 building you guys were at the pantheon that's he, it yep
0: yeah. That was uh, an interesting moment. My wife and I and, and uh, Father Caulfield, we were in Rome for about 10 days and mm-hmm. uh, we were walking by the Pantheon and I saw what I almost couldn't believe. There was a man begging on what looked like a skateboard. Um, he had no arms and no legs. And, and Chris, what, what gave me pause wasn't his physical presence, but it was the way people, um, people ignored him. Right. Mm -hmm. And they walked by and even if they did put money in his can, they did so without any interaction at all. They put it in and they'd be off. So I went over and, uh, with, with uh, father and I know one word in Italian. I think you speak it fluently, don't you? Or you speak Spanish. (laughs) I know
1: know a little bit Um, of Italian. Yes.
0: Okay. So I go ciao like that, mm-hmm. and Chris he lights up, you know, like a Christmas tree, mm-hmm. and he says ciao, and you know we sat there and engaged each other, uh, along along with father, for probably you know five maybe ten minutes, mm-hmm. and we were connecting. I couldn't speak the language, he could, but I could I could do my Jerry Lewis routine, lady, you know I could I could have some fun with him in that respect, and and so when we got up to leave. Um, I put some money in his can and um said chow again because it means the same thing. And Uh um I got about 10 feet away and I turned around and he was zeroed in on me like a laser. Uh And he was schmoozing and I was schmoozing back. And I gotta tell you, Chris, the lot of these people that we we see on the street corners, 80 some percent of them, you know, they're 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 hungry, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's hard for me to ignore them. I know it's hard for a lot of people to ignore them. I understand why people ignore them. And I understand their, um, their reasoning behind that. But in addition to being, you know, hungry, they're very, very lonely people. Yeah. And so I always engage those people. I engage, you know, you got to be careful the way you do it, because believe it or not, that is their domicile. That's their home, you know, and you just don't throw yourself on them but I've engaged them I've had long conversations with them and and I probably got a heck of a lot more out of it than they did but it's some of these little people that uh, that serve us you know waiters you know I'll engage them and by the time I've left that restaurant we're best buddies and I know where he's from and I know what's you know what he's all about just yesterday and this is the second time I met her there's a there's a sandwich shop in Tampa, Florida, called Rights, and this lady must be close to eighty, and she has to work as so many, you know, older people do. And she cleans the tables, and she goes around the restaurant. She doesn't want to get anybody's way, and mm-hmm. you know, the second time or the first time I was there, this was the second time I saw her. You know, I engaged her, and we talked, and we talked about where she's from, and we we uh, talked about um, her son and what he was doing, and and then. Uh, when I walked back into the, uh, restaurant, they still got it set up where you can't sit here and you can sit there and boom, boom, boom. Um, I was sitting, getting to sit down at the corner and she came around the corner and boy, she came right back over to my table and started to engage me. And these are lonely, lonely people. And, um, I enjoy it. I get something out of it. And, and again, as I said, I get more out of it than they do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Well, it just seems like you're very, you're very good with people and you like to engage with people and it's kind of natural to you to share your happiness and the gifts that you have with those folks. Does that sound right?
0: Yeah, it does sound right. And today you can't leave your house or your office without running into these people. And, you know, some people say, okay. well, you know, all they're going to do is buy booze. Well, if they buy booze, they buy booze and or you know, they're. I know, I know somebody that made like $900 in one day and they keep doing it. And those people are out there. I just, I just can't tell the ones that are counting me and, and the, the, uh, the people that have real issues. And so I give them all the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Um, on top of all these cool things that you've done, Cody, you also have a successful business career. I mean, you were in the car business for years doing really well. And then you, I think you're the, still a CEO of, uh, the, the media I'm company. president
0: of uh, the Intermark, um, automotive group out of Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. I had an agency for, um, 27 years and, um, we merged, um, about five years ago.
1: Is there, is there any other type of accomplishment that you want to smooze up to in um, your life before it's all done?
0: Well, yeah, I, I hope to, um, you know, be on the bestseller list. This book just did come out in July, and with that, uh-huh. you know, COVID was there, and so the the typical um, you know thrust that you have when you write a book, you know, the signings and the TV interviews. So I would really hope for this COVID deal to to pass and give me an opportunity to have a real opening to the book and you know book signings and those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Well. I wish you all the luck in that. And, and I hope well, thank you, you schmooze your way into making it happen and become a New York Times bestseller. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic.
0: I don't know how much time we have, but uh-huh. one of the things, you know, the book is just loaded with building relationships and persistence and everything. And um, uh, I talk about the secret sauce build the relationship, get the customer to trust you, and never let them down. And, you know, in business, It's so important, whether you're making a um, presentation to a group or an individual, that you arm yourself with all the information you need to hopefully get on a common ground with these people, where you're something other than, you know, just, you know, another vendor or whatever, um, uh, looking for some business. So. In, the, in building relationships, one of the, the things that is most important, I'll give you a little story behind it, is to build that relationship quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go into, you know, media, meet a CEO or a big automobile dealer or something, you know, I know a lot about that guy besides how many cars he's selling and how many shares and clicks he's got in, on his, uh, in, in his internet uh, marketing. I know about that guy. I know what clubs he belongs to. I know the colleges he went to. I know how many kids he's got. I know the charities that that he belongs to. Mm-hmm. And then I have a this is my 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 secret. Don't tell anybody Okay, okay we'll keep it secret. But I'll right. have to invoice him, right? okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll say, Mr. Jones, how did you get started in this business? Sit back, relax because they love telling their story right? oh
1: yeah yeah
0: and and so by doing that i am getting on a common ground with them because i can relate to things that they uh, relate the things in their story so i get a call um from a dealer in charlotte north carolina he said all the toyota dealers are getting together for dinner he said, why don't you come up? He didn't say schmooze, but that's basically why don't you come up and meet him? I'll introduce you and so on and so forth. So I get there. It's a the Grove Park Inn and um, very nice place. Then. it's a nice place now, golf course. But anyway, I get there and um, get all my stuff in the room and it's just about 630 and I go down and I meet these 10 dealers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And during dinner, just what I, I said I do with most CEOs, I'm meeting these dealers and I'm, I'm getting on a common ground with them. And I know people that they know. And they, and then then I guess we're about a half an hour away from a, uh, getting done with dinner and everybody going to the rooms. And one of the dealers says to me, he said, Cody, who did you bring with you? And I said, who did I bring with me? And I thought that was a very strange question. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking maybe my wife or something. Well, as it turns out, Chris, there was a major presentation in the morning, and I was one of the agencies that was going to make a full-blown presentation to this Toyota group. This Toyota group that was spending millions that were handled by a very large, large advertising agency at the time, Saatchi and Saatchi, um, billion-dollar agency. And they had invited, you know, four uh, agencies to come up. Well, my buddy... He didn't say, "Come on up, we're having a presentation." He said, hey, come on up and meet these guys. And so I get there. <laughs> I've got, I've got a you know business cards. I have. Does anybody remember? And maybe not you, Chris, but we used to use VHS tapes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. had my. Oh yeah, he says. <laughs> I had, uh, I had uh, my VHS uh, tape with me, which was a pretty hot reel. I had just done it, but I, I didn't back out. Then, but when I went up to my room, I was really thinking, you know, I got to back out. I didn't know anything about their market. I knew media. I knew our media strategy. I had no creative, but I, I was pretty good at creative and I know our creative strategy and what we try to accomplish. Um, all I knew was what I learned from these guys, you know, the couple hours that I spent with them. And I almost decided to, to, to back out and I said, no, just, To myself, you know, I convinced myself that I needed to do this. So the next morning I get down there and we've got um, four agencies and uh, the other three were much bigger than my agency and they had storyboards and, you know, they had, you know, at least three or four people. Um, They had parting gifts for the dealers, you know, Mm -hmm. I have a VHS machine and a card. And I get to go on last. in advertising, a little secret, you either want to go on first and you want, or you want to go on last. In this right. case, they put me last, which I thought was great. And so I'm invited. I, I go into the room and I start pitching. Uh, as I said, you know, I've got a chapter in my, my, uh, my book about schmoozing from the podium. And up to that time, I've been schmoozing for about, you know, almost 20 years from the podium. And so I get up there. And I go over our agency, who we are, who our clients are. I talk about creative. I talk about, you know, how we buy media and added value and post buys and, and all those kinds of things. I show a very, very um, good automotive reel, what we call in the business, a sizzle reel. Mm-hmm. And it was very, I just, I just produced it, like I said. So they clap, you know, and I leave And And one thing about automobile dealers, Chris, they make decisions very, very quickly, right? Yeah. So um, I guess it was about 40 minutes and some of the other agencies had already discounted me. Right. And all of a sudden a gentleman comes out of the uh, into the the lobby and and uh, I remember his name, Joe Bertolami. And he said, Cody, he says, we'd like to talk to you. And so I um, I uh, go, I walk into the room and they close the door. They all stand up and they applaud. They said, you're a new agency. Wow. Well, I can't tell you what a difference that made in my life and the business that followed that, but it's all about building that relationship and building it early and and getting on a common ground with those people. So I really, I had the advantage of all the other agencies because they did not outdo my sizzle reel for sure. And, you know, I had already met these people. They liked me and that's half the battle, right? Right. Um. And, you know, I I, I convinced them that, you know, we were the best of show and we won that business. It, it, um, it, it really had an effect on my whole career after that. But so it's build the relationships, get the customer to trust you. You know, sometimes in business, Chris, we, you know, I say we, you know, people like to tell little white lies or Or well, they don't they they don't tell the whole story and they're not totally transparent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got people that have come to me over the years, you know, where we screwed up. We absolutely did screw up and oh what are we gonna do? And you know, they think we're gonna lose the account. The only thing you can do is be totally transparent and tell them the truth. And that always fits better than even fudging because you know that that has a way of you know coming back at you. And then and real, real quick, never let them down. As I said early, earlier, um, you know, obviously you're not going to be perfect, you know, and there are going to be issues. But if you if you share and uh, with the dealer and you're there for him, I get calls on weekends to this day. Mm-hmm. And I have my I have my off. I can look and, oh, it's him. I'm his blankie and he wants to talk to me. <laughs> and I don't know if it's something important or not, but I, I take the call. and I talk to him because I like to talk with him and blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, I guess it goes back to, to caring and, um, you know, you show you show um, a client that you care and, you know, you're a partner, as I said before. So it's a great story, but build that relationship early. Psychologists will tell you that you have, you know, 30 to 60 seconds and people are already making a value judgment about you.
1: Right. So, when you, I, One thing that, that that I liked about your book, Cody, is that you talk about how smiling is, uh, has gotten you so far, smiling and laughing, and, and just just sharing a good positive attitude. But you know, we have this term in entrepreneurship today about like life hacks or hacking. You know, little life hacks that we can use to make life easier or to change you know the game for us. And I think what you refer to smiling on a regular basis is, is kind of a life hack, but you, you mentioned 10 things, 10 kind of superpowers that smiling, uh, or 10 things that smiling really does as a superpower. What, what are those 10 things? Can you hit those? Uh, Well,
0: I, I don't know if I can recite all 10, but I can tell you that smiling has been a part of my repertoire and part of, um, you know, my armor, for mm-hmm. as long as, as I can remember, you know, even selling, uh, papers on, on the street corner. And, and today, you know, it, it's, it's a way to disarm people. It's a way to open up to people. It's a, it actually has health benefits. They've, they've proven that people that make smiling part of their regular routine, actually, they actually live longer. Yeah, And, um, I, I can, I can tell you that when and I've had conversations over the years, many times, with with some of our people about you know the importance of smiling, and um, they've actually, um, and for some of them, it's very, very hard. I mean, they they go like this, go mm-hmm, like this. I said, no, that's, that's <laughs> not a smile. It's a you know, right, right. Um, you got a genuine <laughs> smile. You know, you gotta. Um, so um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's in the book. It's chapter two, and it says. Uh, name of the chapter is Say Cheese and, uh, and that chapter is also uh, uh, where I introduce Hugh Hoffman and oh, yeah. and his smile as I as I said he was a big Paul Bunyan character and you know big hands big head to, and he had this smile that went from ear to ear mm-hmm. and there's uh, it, it, I don't know if, if the copy that you got of the book but I, I also have illustrations there of different yeah. characters Sparky Anderson Hugh Hoffman and
1: Saw that you know
0: Sylvester Stallone and what have you but uh, there's one of him up there and I got it from one of the the maybe few pictures I actually have a few and it's his smile and you know so I probably learned a, a lot from him about smiling
1: was he smiling when you uh, you beat him at the bet and you knew where the horn on the Cadillac was
0: no in fact, <laughs> in fact you know in the book I don't I think that's the only um off color word i have Uh and you know he went son of a bitch like that (laughs) and um uh (laughs) but you know and i waited a year to to tell him the the whole story but uh no he's uh he wasn't smiling then
1: (laughs) yeah but you were though i bet (laughs) yeah Uh, i
0: was i was
1: that's great Well, Cody, we're going to wrap up there. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom and, and teaching us how to schmooze the right way. We really appreciate it. If, if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, Mr. com. That's, uh, M R not M I S T E R. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and, and Instagram and, um, obviously uh barnes and noble and uh amazon the book has just come out the audio book um which i recorded it's a little difficult you know getting to record this is what i've been doing my whole life you know on air talent and voiceovers and it took me two months to convince somebody that i might be the best person to
1: (laughs) to do the audio so anyway i'm
0: really excited about that and um it's it's out in the market now starting my new podcast I don't know if you were aware of that, but it's called uh, nice. Mr. Schmooze, Cody Lowry, and um, looking forward to do that. It's a it's different format than yours, but uh, much nice. shorter. Get just give him a little bolt, you know. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, that, that's where they can find me. And uh, thank you for having me. You're a you're a great guy. And and I started listening to your podcast this last week, and and I can tell all the people out there, and and I know these are your fans, but tell other fans to listen to Chris's
1: podcast because they're wonderful. Yeah, you're schmoozing me right now, Cody. You're schmoozing me. (laughs) Well, I do not know. Well, thanks so much, Cody. It's been a, a real pleasure. And listeners, we wanted to say thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.